It's good to be with you and worship with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians, Paul's epistle to the Christians at Philippi. If you're using the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you, you'll find today's scripture text on page 1138, Philippians 1, and today we're going to look at verse 6, Philippians 1 and verse 6. Now, last week we began uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we saw there in the opening words of his greetings and, and letter to these dear Christians that this book begins with notes of thanksgiving and, and joy. In fact, the whole book is replete with a sense of joy and thanksgiving to God for what God is doing in the lives of these Philippian believers. His gratitude, his joy is over the fact that these Philippian believers have joined with him in a gospel focus, that they've surrounded the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they believe in the power of the gospel to change and transform lives. And Paul is grateful for their partnership and their fellowship in this gospel-focused church. He's thankful for the Philippians, and and he tells them in the opening words of his letter that every time he's reminded of them, every time he thinks of them, he's overwhelmed with a spirit of gratitude and joy because of their love and care for him personally, but also because of what God was doing in them and in the partnership that they shared together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we move on in Paul's letter to verse 6 today, we find yet another reason for Paul's joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. But unlike his first reasons, this second reason found in verse 6 has more to do with God and what God is doing than it has to do with the Philippians. He writes in verse 6, let's put it on the screen, Gail, if we can, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I want to remind you, as I, as I said last week, that Paul, uh, when he is writing this letter to the believers at Philippi, is writing uh, from uh, a house arrest. He's imprisoned by the Roman Caesar. And so he is writing in chains to these servants of God in Macedonia, in the city of Philippi. And despite these dire circumstances, Paul is still writing with great joy and thanksgiving. I think there's a note here for us, friends, and and we need to take our cue from Paul's example that even when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances, even though we might not be particularly happy about those difficult circumstances, we can still have a spirit of great joy. Because God's joy is not necessarily dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that comes as a heavenly gift to us. And we can still, in the midst of circumstances that are not so so great, we can still have a great deal of joy. And Paul shows that here as he's writing that letter. Despite these difficult circumstances, he's still a joyful individual. But what you need to understand is this this isn't the first time that Paul found himself in a scrape. In fact, uh, if you look at Paul's life from the time that, that God met him on the Damascus Highway 
and, and blinded him with his grace, what you'll discover is that Paul experienced a lot of ups and downs in his spiritual journey. Let me ask this morning, is there anybody here who experiences any ups and downs in their spiritual journey? Can I see your hand? Oh, yeah, you're in the majority. The rest of you are lying, so <laughs> let's just get it straight. We all experience that, that forward movement. There are those times when we're really growing in the Lord and we're taking three steps forward, and then all of a sudden we take two steps backward. We experience those ups and downs. Paul experienced that kind of experience as well. He had a lot of ups and downs. You need to understand and look at his life. He was on uh, some bold missionary journeys as he went out and evangelized uh, lost people, pagan people who needed to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he went with colleagues, but he, he discovered along the way that some of those colleagues who had joined him in those missionary journeys, who had been so bold in their declaration of the word of truth, he, he saw some of those colleagues uh, later on abandon him. He, Paul had seen people that he had discipled in the faith, that he had been a mentor to in their spiritual uh, life and growth. He had seen some of those same people turn their backs on him. One of those downers that when you're in the ministry you experience from time to time. Paul had seen people who had professed faith in Christ who, who later would fall away from the faith. Not only fall away from the faith, but he saw some of those people who had believed on the gospel of Jesus who had experienced the grace of God, who had been zealous for the gospel, he found them suddenly becoming a tool of Satan and becoming very divisive in the church. In fact, if you read his letters, you'll discover that there are many times when he has to reprove individuals by name. And he says, you know, stop acting this way and, 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 and you're harming the body of Christ and you're, you're destroying the unity of Christ's church. And so Paul had experienced some pretty hard things up to this point. And yet, in verse 6, he starts out his words saying, I am confident of this. And my question is, when I read verse 6 is, so where does Paul's confidence come from? What is the source of this bold confidence? And I think that he gives us the answer there in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is joyful and thankful over the Philippians' partnership in the Gospel. But here in verse 6, he makes a very bold point, and I don't want us to miss it this morning. And I want to tell you right out of the chute that I have one point to this message today. This is not your typical three-point sermon. It's not a six-point sermon or a ten-point sermon. You can be relieved. I, this is a one-point sermon. And the, the message that I want to deliver to you today is the same message that, that Paul is delivering to the Philippians. That our salvation, our salvation is God's work from beginning to end, from start to finish. I want you going out these doors today, rehearsing in your mind, that God's work of salvation in you, the very first nanosecond that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, was not about you, was not about the strength of your faith, was not about your goodness, but it was the working of God in Jesus Christ. That it was not you who found Christ, 
but that Christ found you. And that is the good news of the Gospel. You see, friends, I think we need that message today. Because we have a whole lot of people who are into self-improvement and self-help. Just visit Borders or, or Barnes & Noble and you will discover rack upon rack upon rack of books that eventually end up on the bargain counter that will tell you how to be a better this or a better that or do this to, to a more successful life or a happier life or, or how to. The formula is, well, I'm telling you that in the Christian life, the only formula there is to be happy in Jesus is to rest secure in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That your efforts, your praying, your discipline, your church attendance, the money you put in the offering plate, all of those things are good things. And as a follower of Christ, you ought to be a good steward. And you ought to be praying. And you ought to be reading your Bible. And you ought to be engaging in the spiritual disciplines. And you ought to be witnessing. But none of those things bring you any additional favor from God. The only thing that brings you favor in the eyes of God is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, I'm, I'm saying that, that not only in this time do we need that, but I think particularly in this community, in the Erie community, we need this message. And we need to share this message. Because I believe that there are a lot of well-meaning, good people who are church-going people who are saying their prayers and doing their religious thing, who are not trusting in the gracious work of God in Jesus Christ, but are trusting in their own righteousness. And the Bible says that my righteousness, your righteousness, is what? It is filthy rags in the eyes of God. There is only one thing that saves you. It is the finished work of God in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, and you have not placed your trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross for you, then no matter how many times you come to a church service, how many dollars you put into an offering plate, put your name on the church roll, what have you, it doesn't matter because there's only one thing that will save you, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ and your trust in Christ's saving work. So my point today is this. That from the very start, our salvation is based on God's work. God is at work in you. God, even by His Holy Spirit, is declaring that you are right with Him because you've accepted the righteousness of His Son. God's gracious work has pardoned you. God's gracious work has forgiven you. God's gracious work has cleansed you and put your feet on a, on a new path. God's at work in your life. And I want you to remember that it's not your initiative that has accomplished this, but instead it is the initiative of God in Jesus Christ. God's at work in growing you up to maturity and grace. Salvation is not something that starts with you and then you continue on with the work of God. Nor does it start with God and then God says, okay, then the rest of this is up to you. I'll save you, but the rest of your, your spiritual journey is up to you. No, salvation is from beginning to end, from start to finish, salvation is the sovereign work of God in Jesus Christ. 
And so from the very first time when you believed to this very moment, to the day when you are glorified, it's all about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So then, I would appeal to you then and declare to you that our justification, our sanctification, and ultimately our glorification is all about God's work in us. Now you say, Rick, you're throwing some mighty uh, $10 words at us there this morning. Justification, sanctification, glorification. What does that mean? Well, I went to school a long time to be able to tell you this, so let me do it. Justification simply refers to that point when God, through His gracious working, called you by name, by His Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that you would have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ if God, by His Holy Spirit, had not been wooing you to Himself. He was calling you. The Holy Spirit was working out the circumstances of your life. He was arranging and ordering your path. He was bringing you to a place where you would be humble enough to repent of your sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't come to Christ. Christ came to you. You didn't find Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ found you. And when you were far off, when you were like that one lost sheep, 99 safe in the fold, one lost sheep out on the rocky cliff, God went out and searched for you. He loved you so much that He went searching for you. And He found you. And He caused your heart to be opened. And He started a process of changing that stony heart of yours. He started to change that stony heart into a heart of flesh. Why? So that you would come to a place of humility and surrender and you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you accepted this good gospel of grace, you were, theologians say, you were justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. You were legally, by a holy God, you were declared righteous clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You exchanged those filthy rags of your own righteousness and you put on the new clothing of Christ's righteousness. And now when God looks at you, do you know what God the Father, when He looks at you, what He sees? Because you've been justified, He sees only the righteousness, the purity, the the fiery, flaming purity of Jesus Christ. He sees that. And His righteousness covers you. My hope is built on nothing less, the hymn writer says, finish it for me, than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. You see, if you're trusting in your salvation on your own goodness, or that you need to get yourself cleaned up to be worthy enough to accept this gift of salvation, you're building on the wrong foundation. The foundation that you need to be building your life upon and your salvation upon is on the rock of Jesus Christ, even as we sang this morning. So that's your justification, your sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, once you are justified, declared righteous by this holy God, then He begins a lifelong process in you to make you more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Literally, sanctification is setting something apart for a holy use. 
even as the Old Testament priests would set apart utensils that were used only for Old Testament worship. So you and I have been set apart by God. When we've been justified by His grace, He then sets us apart for holy use because He begins a lifelong process of shaping us and molding us and fashioning us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life. Oh, that's the goal of the Christian life. Yes, that's the goal of the Christian life. To become more like Jesus. Pretty simple, yeah? Pretty hard. No? It's simple. It's hard. But it's possible by the grace of God. And He is sanctifying you. He's making you. And so when those circumstances start to pinch a bit, when those situations in your life, when you may even be introduced to a time of suffering in your life, don't push it away. Don't push Him away. Instead, embrace it. Because in that, you will be made more like Jesus. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is the goal of the Christian life. Your sanctification. This is the will of God, that you would be sanctified. Justification, sanctification continues that work in a long, lifelong process. But ultimately, you and I ultimately will be glorified. This is the good news of the gospel. That someday, Paul tells us it's on the day of Christ Jesus, either when the Lord calls us home or He returns, that we will be glorified, that the work of sanctification will be completed and you and I will be made perfect. And we're going to look at that more fully in just a few moments. So our justification, declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God, our sanctification, this lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus, and ultimately our glorification. In all of these things, my point this morning, in all of these things, it's not about you. It's not about how you've responded. It's not about what you're doing now. It's about what God's up to in your life. So let me ask you, what is God up to in your life right now? What is He doing in you? What has He done in your life? Are you saved this morning? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Are you a Christ follower? Have you been justified? Have you been declared righteous, forgiven, not guilty? If you can't say, yes, Pastor Rick, with confidence, yes, I believe that I am righteous in the eyes of God, not because of anything good in me, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. If you can't say that, sister, brother, I want to tell you that there is no more important thing that you have to deal with today, this week, this month, or this year than getting things right with God. You get right with God. And if God, by His Holy Spirit, is speaking to your heart, do not wait, do not delay. You go right now. Run toward God and His grace. Because here's the beautiful thing. He's running toward you. And He has a gift of grace that He wants to offer you. And He wants to declare that you are forgiven, that the past is wiped out, that you are a new creature, the stony heart is now replaced by a heart of flesh, and you can begin on that experience of sanctification. So what is God up to in your life? How is He maturing you? And what will God do on that last day? How is God at work in your life? And friends, this is the confidence that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. That God is at work in the totality of our salvation. 
that God's work is the work of saving. God's work is the work of sanctifying and changing His people into the likeness of Jesus. God's work is the, the work of building up His people and His church. And as the Word promises, as the church is built up, the gates of hell will not prevail against it or Him. And it is precisely that for which Paul is giving thanks here in verse 6. Being confident of this, that He who's He? God, He who began a good work. He began it when? He began it when He was calling you by name. He began it when He justified you. He began it as He started to sanctify you. That He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This spiritual truth is something that you see Paul emphasizing over and over again. He did so in his letter to the Ephesians. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 when he said, As for you, you were what? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. But Paul goes on in verse 5 and says, But though you were dead in your trespasses, God in Christ made you alive. Let me ask you, according to that verse, who took the initiation there? Was God the prime mover or were you? We like to think that we were, that we were the ones who came to Christ, that we got our life and our act together and then God was, we were pleasing to God and He saved us. Absolutely not. I didn't seek the Lord. God sought me. I didn't find the Lord. The Lord found me. I, I, I was, I was no good. Absolutely no good. I was not worthy of being saved. But God in His love reached out to me and saved me by His grace. And in saving me and in saving you, it is God who took the initiative and made us alive in Christ. Is that the only time that Paul says that? No, you can look at Colossians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, where Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. This theme is replete through all of Paul's writings. That God took the initiative. That God was the seeker. That God was the mover. That God was the initiator. What's my one point this morning? Simply this. Salvation from beginning to end is God's work. Now, I know I'm going to get cards and emails on this. Go ahead. Beat me down with an email. But understand, Paul is not saying that there's nothing that you have to do. Paul is not saying that faith is not important. Paul is not saying that your living is not important. Paul is not saying that your actions are not important. But what Paul is saying, and what I think that Christians today need a good dose of in this self-help, self-improvement environment in which we live, Paul is emphasizing the initiative of God's grace in our salvation from beginning to end. And dear ones, I want to let you in on a little secret. If your innate goodness and ability for self-help and self-improvement is the ground of your confidence, let me break some really bad news to you. You will never have confidence in your walk with God if you're building it on your own good works. But I will tell you this. If the ground of your faith is the finished work of God in Christ. That fact will help you be preserved to the very end.
Or as John Newton put it in his famous hymn, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and now, Lord, I'll take it home from here. Is that what Newton said? No. His grace has brought me safe thus far, finish it for me, and grace will lead us home. Grace, from beginning to end, from start to finish, in your justification, your sanctification, in your glorification, it is God's grace that will lead you home. And it is that grace of God that Paul is celebrating here. And he says, when I look at you, I can be joyful and thankful, even though I know you're going to be persecuted, even though I know that you will still probably sin, even though I know that the evil one is going to be prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Paul says, I can be joyful, I can be thankful, and I am confident of this, that He, God, who began a good work in you, will bring this work to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, Paul is not wearing rose-colored glasses. He's not in a state of denial. In fact, Paul's eyes are wide open to the realities that the Philippians will probably face as Christ followers. But Paul is even wider-eyed at the reality of God's sovereign initiative and salvation which goes from beginning to end. And I think we need that word today. I think I need that word today. But let me expand on that idea for a moment because this salvation, this work of God in us is still, is yet an unfinished work. It's still not complete. God's still working on you. You say, well, I'm almost perfect, Rick. What do you mean? God's still refining you. God's still working on you. There's some things in your life that aren't quite yet. It's getting close. Some things that aren't quite yet aligned with the purposes of God. You aren't quite yet as perfect as Jesus. Anybody want to contest me on that? You still have a ways to go to meet up to that standard. So there's still some work that God's doing on you. Maybe it's in the area of relationships. Maybe, maybe you, you're struggling in relationships and, and God is teaching you and, and refining you in the area of relationships. Or, or, or perhaps it's in the area of priorities. Or, or perhaps it's in the area of stewardship. I don't know what the issue is for you. But, but I have to believe as I look across this audience this morning that, that, that you are struggling with something in your life and, and you realize that God has begun a good work in you, but you also will quickly acknowledge that He's not quite yet through with you. He's still working on you. Here's something to rejoice in this morning. Here's something that will give you confidence as you plow forward this week. That He who began a good work in you will perfect it on the day of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is telling us that on the day of Christ Jesus, on the day of the Lord, not in this life, not on this side of heaven, it's never ever, it's never ever finished on this side of glory. The Christian life on this side of glory will be a pilgrimage of ups and downs. There's no catapulting to a life of perfection 
and then a continuous experience of perfection in this life. The Christian journey will be a life of peaks and valleys. And sometimes those valleys are going to be so deep that you, you think to yourself that you will never climb out of them. This work of God's grace in sanctifying you and making you like Jesus is never, ever finished on this side of heaven. As long as we live in this imperfect world, there will be always something more, something more that God by His Holy Spirit is going to need to do in your life. And for every one of us, that'll be different. John Newton put it in such a delightful way when he said, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient I am. He saw his own deficiencies. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor the evil in me, and I would cleave to that which is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon, I will put off uh, with mortality both sin and imperfection. But here's the clincher. But though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And Newton continues, and so therefore, I can heartily join with the Apostle Paul and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you are glad that you can say today, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not what I'm going to be on the day when God perfects this work in me. But by God's grace, He's led me thus far. And His grace, praise the Lord, not my doing, not my goodness, not my righteousness, but His grace will lead me home to the day of Christ Jesus. And on that day, listen, on that day, Think about this for a minute. God has that day on His calendar. You are in God's Franklin planner. On that day, God will perfect the work that He began a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, when He came chasing after you to make you hungry for His grace. And that work of grace continued on the day when you first believed on the Lord Jesus. And that grace has continued throughout the years and the decades of your life for some of you as God has been shaping and molding and fashioning and purifying and sanctifying His work in you and making you more like Jesus. But it's not done yet. But here's something that will make you puff out your chest. Someday, Someday, God's going to say, you are perfect. Perfect. When is that day? Only Jesus knows. No one but the Father knows, really. When is the day of Christ Jesus? Only the Father knows. But on that day, when you are glorified, you will be declared not just righteous, you will be declared perfect. I like the sounds of that, and let me tell you why. I love a good bargain. My ancestors were English and Scottish. And if you know anything about the Scots, 
They are very frugal people. They can pinch a nickel so tight that it will bleed. And I must have a lot of Scotsmen in my blood because I love a good bargain. I refuse to pay full price for anything. When we were in uh, the Holy Land, the group that traveled with us from First Alliance discovered this in me. I don't think they realized uh, how much I liked a good bargain and, and would dicker the, the merchant down. I had one lady in Greece actually spit on the ground because of me. But she said, you are a hard bargainer. I love a good bargain. And so I refuse to buy anything unless it's 40, 50, 60, 70 percent off. So my favorite stores are TJ Maxx and Marshalls. Anybody go to those stores? Yeah, yeah, I see you there. I go through the, the clearance at TJ Maxx. I don't even buy the stuff on the regular price stuff at TJ Maxx. I go to the clearance. And I scan them all carefully. I take the garments on. I look them over. I check the zipper to make sure that it operates properly. Important for a preacher that the zipper operates properly. <laughs> there are no snags in the, the knitted sweater. There's no stain on the back of the shirt. The belt doesn't have a pinch in the leather. And what I've discovered as a bargain shopper is that there's something that you really need to watch for on the label. When the label has the word irregular stamped on it, you want to be really, really careful when the word irregular is stamped on it. You want to look that baby over really good if it has a regular stamped on it. Because undoubtedly there is a flaw in that somewhere. And, and uh, you'll get a better bargain on an irregular thing. And there are some things that I'm willing to accept as an irregular. I won't tell you the garments that I accept as irregular. But there are some things that I will accept as irregular. But I'm here to tell you today that on the day of Christ Jesus, that the work that God began in you at the point of your conversion, through your justification, through your sanctification, on the day of your glorification, the word irregular will be taken out of the, the book because you and I will be declared perfect. And it has nothing to do with you because our salvation from start to finish from beginning to end is about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He was the one that sought us. He was the primary mover. He was the initiator. He is the one who brought us this wonderful gift. We didn't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. We certainly are not worthy of this marvelous gift of His grace. But praise God, Though I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say that because of the grace of God, I am not today what I once was, a slave to sin and to Satan. Augustus Toplady said this, and with this I'll finish. The work which His goodness began, the arm of His strength will complete. His promise is yes and amen. 
and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above, can make him his purpose forgo, or sever my soul from his love. My friends, I've had one point and one point only to make today. Isn't it amazing how long a one-point sermon can go? (laughs) The point is this, that our salvation from start to finish is God's work. And if your ultimate assurance and confidence in this Christian journey is because of something that you have done, because of something that you have achieved, because of something that you have attained, will bless your heart. You're in for a long, discouraging life because that rug can be pulled out from you at any time and a hundred times. But if today... If today your salvation and your sanctification and your ultimate glorification is based on God's work, then I tell you the truth. Nothing, absolutely nothing in this life can shake you or touch you if your confidence is in the gracious work of God in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Let's pray. Father, We're so glad that You are a God who finishes what You start. We are confident, O God, that the work that You have begun in the lives of these believers will one day be perfected. Today, Lord, as I prepare to say my final goodbyes to this wonderful family that I love so much with all of my heart, I thank You for the good work that You have begun in this congregation of believers. And Lord, I am confident, just as Paul was confident about the Philippians, I am confident that the work that you began here, come hell or high water, is work that you will continue to do and you will bring it to perfection. And because of that assurance and confidence that I have, O God, I know that in reality, the best days for this body of believers are not behind us. But in reality, the best days for this congregation are still yet ahead of us being confident of this, that who He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Praise be to Your name, now and forevermore. Amen.